Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today on the show, we have Sarah I. James, that's Sarah, the letter I, not spelled out E-Y-E, Sarah, the letter I, James. She is the owner of Getting Words to Work, where she offers tailored training courses, one-to-one coaching, and freelance writing to organizations throughout the UK. So she's an audit, risk, compliance, and information security, report writing, coach, and trainer. And you would think if someone coaches others on how to write, that they should at least have a book. And Sarah does. Aptly named Radical Reporting, writing better audit, risk, compliance, and information security reports. And so there is a link in the show notes for that book, as well as a discount code for 30% off. So if you follow the link and enter the code RR30 at checkout, then you'll get 30% off of Sarah's book. Perhaps no surprise, we're talking about audit report writing today. Um, We talk about when you should not use an audit report. So it doesn't have to be a PDF that you email or or a PDF that you print and share. We talk about other mediums that you can use to share the results of your audit findings. We also talk about how to issue the report faster. We also talk about dashboards and data visualizations. So data visualizations within the audit report and then dashboards that serve as the audit report or that can also serve to support the audit report. And during that section, Sarah shared her screen and showed some dashboards and data visualization examples. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to just listen to that. Um, So we did cut that out and we have it on YouTube with the screen share so you can see some of the dashboards and the data visualizations that Sarah shared with me. And I've been in analytics long enough that I know everybody likes to talk tools. And so we talk about the tools that can help facilitate the audit report writing process. We also talk about how to get the perspective of what the board cares about within the audit report, which I think is huge because if you've ever sat on a board and you get the packet, I mean, you probably aren't reading the whole thing. And so you flip through, you flip through, you flip through. So you want to make sure that what the board sees, um, or at least you want to make sure that what you're putting in there is what the board sees and you don't end up being one of those pages that just kind of gets flipped over. Lastly, we talk about amongst everything that we've talked about um, within report writing, because there's so many kind of details that go in within that. The one thing, like what's the one takeaway that we should have when it comes to report writing? What's the one thing that we can do to write better audit reports or to communicate our findings better? Uh, Because as noted at the top of the show, uh, you don't have to issue an audit report. 
So again, if you're interested in Sarah's book, click the link in the show notes and then follow that link to enter the code RR30 at checkout and you'll get 30% off of Sarah's book. Here we go. When should we not use an audit report? That's a great question, Trent. And I've been thinking about that ever since we first talked. And the obvious answer is when it's not going to serve a purpose. Because remember, the international standards of the Institute of Internal Auditors don't require us to actually issue a report at the end of an engagement. All we have to do, all, she says, is communicate results. So what I always say to people is, you know, however you communicate those results, you know, whether it's a report, whether it's a video, an email, cave painting, interpretive dance, as long as your audience understands what you found, why it matters, and what they should do to improve the risk and control framework, then guess what? You're conforming with standards, and more importantly, you're providing a service to the organization. Yeah. I think um, if we uh, segued here from cave painting as an audit report to including dashboards and data visualizations, what have you seen in terms of how those have been used? Are they more effective uh, or, or do people gloss over them or what have you seen there? Well, I've seen some really creative use of the technology that's out there. I've also seen some creative use of just human communication techniques. You know, we don't have to use advanced tools. We just have to think differently about how and why and what we're communicating. So I've definitely seen some great stuff um, using BI, for instance, with interactive audit reports. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give a shout out now to Malcolm Zach, who is my go-to guy about anything to do with data analytics, IT audit, and being super creative with interactive reporting. Uh, Malcolm's a great guy. And um, I mean, if you like, I would be very happy to do a screen share and show you something that Malcolm actually sent me um, some time ago, if you like. That would be perfect. So I'm going to show you something now. I take it you can see this? Got it. Yeah. So this is something that Malcolm sent me that he invited me to include in my book. People have been really generous with sharing um, what kind of templates and tools they're using to get their points across more easily. And so this is an interactive Power BI report and extract from it. It's the detailed findings and actions. And as he said, on the left, it's got the audit information you'd expect to see. Um, But you can click on the right hand side and it gives you the top level information. And then as you click into it, you know, you get way more detail and a further dashboard. So depending on what you click on, on that, you know, that slide, say on the left, um, you're going to get different kind of rich detailed data on the right. And when you think about that, that is such a great way to serve your audience because some people, they want all that detail and you don't want to hide it from them. Other people, they're just going to get confused or distracted or irritated. So you really don't want to be doing that. I'm going to stop on that right now. And if you're okay with it, I'll share with you a couple of other things that I've been seeing. If you're up for that, um, no cave paintings yet, but uh, I look forward to it. And I have dared Hal Garin to do some interpretive dance. <laughs> and the day that there's a video of that, I think we're going to break LinkedIn. Hal Garin, uh, friend of the show. Yeah, we would all love to see that. Wouldn't that be great? Here's a one pager I'm going to show you now. 
so you can see that this is something i'm just going to make that a little bit bigger now so we can all enjoy it okay. and what's good about this is it's a report on a page so it's got the objective the assurance opinion and this is obviously just some very generic wording here in your report obviously you would want to be a little bit more specific to say you know how good or how bad you actually found the risk and control function and maybe highlight any particular areas that led to that conclusion. What I like here as well is, you know, there's RAG ratings almost for the risks reviewed on the right-hand side. Um, it's also got numbers of actions and the findings. So it acknowledges that, you know, you've got high rated risks and medium and low, you've got high priority actions, high rated findings, you know, and, and there's an interplay among these things. Um, you know, one doesn't necessarily lead to another. Um, you've got your scope there on the lower right hand side. So you've got it, but it's not dominating. You've got the most important thing, upper left hand. With the assurance opinion so it's actually going in the way that people certainly with you know western european languages read which is left to right. right and so it's following the way that the eye and the brain works and what we expect to see there's also stuff down here you see next steps additional information so allowing for a little bit more context or flagging something particularly important but you know with this you've got what everyone needs on a page and then when people need more information they can get that as they wish my favorite one so far, though, is this, I have to say. This is my favorite one. The email report template came from manufacturing function um, in the, well, manufacturing, I would say, sector, organiz global organization headquartered in the U.S. And um, the, the co-chairs or the co-directors of audit were thinking creatively about that had two separate teams. How are they going to merge them and also merge the methodology and the suite of reporting documents? And I advised them about this and I gave them a particular tip, which I think we might touch on later on about how to find out what do readers want, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's the board or audit committee or regulators or operational managers, the people who are reading your reports, how can you make sure they get what they need out of it? And what these two people came up with was email. So in the actual subject heading, you've got exactly what the report's about and the date. And then when you go into the body of the email, you've got your rating, executive summary, and the high impact observations. The great thing about this is again, it's just on a page. People can scroll down on their handheld device because people are busy and they're traveling now. They're in different time zones. They don't have to go somewhere to securely open an attachment before they even find out if it's good, bad, terrifying. Yeah. Um, they've got it right here. They've got secure hyperlinks where they want more information. And then when we scroll down, you've got your background and your scope at the very end, rather than cluttering up the executive summary. So these are great examples of things that keep it short and sweet and to the point. They put the most important information up front and it's reader friendly. People don't have to page through, you know, multiple pages hunting for what they need. At the same time, audit isn't hiding anything. We're being transparent. We're saying, look, we're not dumping everything on you. But if you want all the detail, click on this in Power BI. 
or click on this hyperlink. For those that are listening, there's a link in the show notes to the Audit Podcast YouTube channel. And so we'll post the full video of the screen shares from Sarah so you can uh, see see it, um, yeah. what we're talking about there. But so there's a there's three different ones you showed. One is an interactive dashboard. The other one's more of a, a PDF type yeah. dashboard. The third is an email. With hyperlinks. With hyperlinks. And what I like about the email is we're all used to that. We've been getting email, literally, what, 50, 100 emails a day, um, depending on your position, maybe. But so we're all used to that. That's a format we've all seen and are familiar with. Next, I would go with the PDF, a report, still image report. Like that's even if you're not used to it, most of us are. Even if you're not because of the way the color schemes work and because, like you said, we read... um, top left, right, and then kind of in a Z pattern from there. Yeah. Um, you can draw attention to where the reader's eyes need to go. On the the interactive report, I'll call it, um, that you would build in a like a BI tool or even Excel, yeah. you could use. The problem I found with that is, if, especially if it's going to um, the audit committee particularly, is they were not super into it because it was this new thing that they had to learn. And so they, they, they didn't want, you know, change can be tough and they didn't want to click on something to see the detail. I mean, you, we had to spend multiple coaching sessions with them, showing them how to use the tool. Um, And so that's just something to think about if you have it in a BI form, regardless of it being with the audit committee or whoever uh, the viewer is, there might be a bit of a learning curve as far as them actually using it. I mean, we had one audit committee member that was like, can you still just print this and mail it to me? And I was like, print it and mail it. Absolutely. I mean, that email I showed you, which seems on the face of it, the most intuitive one, what was interesting was that the, the joint chief audit executives who came up with that, with their newly, you know, integrated team, um, they spent a couple of weeks, they did a survey, which I'm happy to talk about that I helped them with. And um, when they got the results back from readers of their reports, they thought, okay, this is what they want. This is the order they want it in. What's the most reader-friendly way to do it? You know, how can they do it with the fewest number of steps and clicks? Email. They then spent three months <laughs> Um, preparing people, you know, part of it was saying, look, we want to come up with a single suite of communications templates and we want your input into that. So that was how it kicked off. But then once they realized it was going to be email, they put a lot more effort into saying to people, look, this is actually responding to what you asked for. We think it's going to make your lives a lot easier. And it's certainly going to cut down on all sorts of technical glitches that you might get if you're off site and you're trying to connect securely to something to download a report. Um, Even so, they had some resistance. But what it meant was by the time the emails came out, people were welcoming them. Um, So yeah, you know, you have to spend more time preparing people for the change than the time you spend on the change itself. We we are real stick in the muds and especially in audit, I think. Yeah. And and if you look at uh, specifically enterprise-wide implementations of like a GRC software or something like that, there is typically now a change management person that's part mm-hmm. of that team. And to clarify, because I know if IT auditors are listening, they hear change management and think 
as a you know a change to the software or the application or the the tech was it authorized tested approved was there sod uh within that yeah. process uh, that's we're not talking audit change management talking about change management in terms of um a person that helps change the culture relative to whatever the you know the project is uh and getting them used to and caught up to um whatever that change is so i did want to so we went through these uh these three different types and then you also mentioned the three months that it took to kind of put the other together and so i know a lot of folks struggle with getting the report out faster yes and so i can completely understand if someone's listening to this going dude, it already takes us forever to get a report out. You, now yeah. you want to build a dashboard, you want to, uh, this other report, uh, this email template. And so let's, I'll just kind of set that aside. Yeah. Um, but from that, how can we issue audit reports faster? Um, I would say it goes back to some basics. So logic and language, because if we don't know what we're doing or how we're doing it or why we're doing it, we're going to struggle to communicate that. So I think it has to start at the beginning of any engagement with profoundly understanding the work that we are doing, because only then do you have a chance of documenting it clearly because people, you know, come to me for report writing training and they focus on the report, the report, the report. And I have to say, look, the report in a way is like when you're building a house, it's almost like, you know, the snagging and the interior decorating. Mm -hmm. If you haven't sunk the foundations properly, if you do not have supporting walls, if you are not using robust, you know, building materials, the whole thing's going to fall down. So I always say to people, you know, starting from the beginning, your your audit plan, your engagement plan, your terms of reference, your testing plans, and absolutely everything that's going into your working papers, I urge people to keep it short, keep it simple, keep it to the point, favor the active over the passive voice. I'm very happy to talk about that later if you want. And then by the time you get to the report, it's a matter of pulling together what is already there which is rigorous and comprehensible, mm -hmm. as opposed to, and I've seen it many times myself, the reporting stage being kind of like knitting fog. Um, <laughs> I've jumped in <laughs> on audit engagements when, you know, somebody's had to go, you know, on succumbent somebody somewhere else, or they've got some caring responsibilities or they're on sick leave or something. And, you know, the famous last words from the team leader are, oh, so-and-so has already completed all the testing. Just go into teammate or whatever and look at the working papers and just write up the findings. If you can't actually understand what they did, how they did it, why they did it, what they found and why anyone should care, mm -hmm. how do you write a finding out of that? It's seriously, it's like nailing jello to the wall. Yeah. So it starts at the beginning and it's to do with, you know, being rigorously logical and also rigorous in how we write. Yeah. So is it starting with, or like uh, thinking high level, why are we even doing this audit? <laughs> and then as well, and I think there's two points to that because I feel like someone might hear that and go, well, we're doing it because it's a high risk area. And you go, yeah, that's what we do. Audit. The thing that I like to challenge. Risk-based internal on, audit. Yeah. yeah. But what's the opportunity within that also? Um, I think that's something that gets missed a lot and where we can seriously add a ton of value is to keep that perspective also. 
And then within that, um, what is the the objective of this function that we are auditing? Uh, let's say payroll. <clears throat> There's tons of stuff we can do with payroll. What's the objective of payroll though as well? And kind of keeping that, um, not even the back of the mind, like in the front of the mind. So uh, I always try to think of risk opportunity and then, all right, what's the objective of this function? Um, are the, the few things I try to keep in mind. Music to my ears. And it ties into two things I'm constantly asking people because half the time when I run training, it turns into sort of a QA session. Yeah. Um, and I did do QA in an audit function many years ago, and I was not the most popular. But, uh, <laughs> you know, one thing I'll ask people is, you know, have you checked that the strategic objectives of this particular function match the strategic objectives of the overall organization? Yeah. Because if they're five years out of date, you've already got a finding right? because um, everything flows from there. And people don't even ask that question. The other thing, and it goes back to what you were saying about our IT audit colleagues and our change management colleagues. One thing that I think is really thorny, but where we in internal audit are uniquely placed to ask the necessary questions is when you're doing a review of a strategic project or a program office review, something like that. And the number of times I've seen reports about projects that have been going on for years that were never properly set up. So they've kind of been grandfathered in to the methodology that, you know, was brought in place afterwards. And you think, okay, so we're actually admitting that it, doesn't meet any of the criteria, but you're going with the sunk cost fallacy, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically it. Yeah. They don't question the sunk cost fallacy. They don't question the extent to which maybe the board level sponsor has their ego tied up in it. They're also not questioning the fact that five years ago, this might have been a fantastic strategic project to put you out in front of your, your peers, but the market's moved on, the world's moved on, and now it's just a white elephant. Yeah, that's a great. Which goes back to the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. And, you know, are we asking those questions? Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Um, I think you might be the easiest person to work with in terms of segues because you've already set up everything. So, so earlier you're talking about um, when we're talking I'm about an the, auditor, I'm very linear. Yeah. The, the perspective of what the board cares about or whoever's oh, reviewing, yeah. um, reviewing the report. So how do we get that perspective? How do we know what they care about? I love this. Um, you know, people will argue within audit functions about what their readers want. What does the board want? What does the audit committee want? What do the regulators want? What do the external auditors want? And I said, have you asked them? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's radio silence. Yeah. They said, what you mean, ask them. And I said, yes. And they said, well, they don't know what they want. I said, that might be true, 
but we don't know. Mm-hmm. And what I like to do, if a team is thinking of revamping their templates, the first thing I'll do is say, it might not be the template that's the problem. It might be all the junk you're shoving in the template. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wrote less, and wrote more an active voice and just stuck to what was relevant and not just everything that happens to be true, the template would work. But if the template does need fixing, I say pick six to 10 regular readers of your communications and absolutely choose a board member to audit committee, operational managers, people at different levels in the organization, you know, and you want to get that view from the top. And you also want to get the view of people who are having to put it into practice. And I always say, just ask them three questions. What do you always turn to first in our reports? What do you always skip? And what do you wish we'd include that currently we don't? So it's really easy. Whatever they turn to first, that goes first, which means do not clutter up the first two, three, four, five, six, seven pages of your report with all the background and repeating of the whole terms of reference before you get to the payoff, which is the exact summary. People, you're just training people to skip to page seven, wasting trees. Yeah. Um, what do you always skip? Get rid of it. Yeah. Or if you need to include it for legal or regulatory reasons, shove it in the appendix. I call the appendix the attic of the report. It's where you should store stuff that somebody might need, but they don't need to trip over it in your hallway, Perfect. in your executive summary, mm-hmm. you know, the minute they walk through your audit report door. <laughs> um, the third one is hilarious because nine times out of 10, someone's going to mention something that is already in the report. So their answer is telling you that they either haven't read all the way through So what were you doing to lose them that quickly? Or they read it, but you wrote it in such a way that they didn't recognize it for what they were looking for. And that approach not only helps you meet the reader's needs, but it also makes the process of revamping the template less painful within the audit function. Because, you know, if in the audit function you say, right, we're going to revisit the template, whoever came up with that template is going to feel hurt. You know, it's going to be like, Trent, you spent ages working on the template, but you know what? It's no good. We're getting rid of it. Trent, you're going to feel upset. You're going to say, that's my reporting template baby. Um, And what this is doing is saying, Trent, your baby is beautiful and your baby has developed and the reader's needs have developed. So how can we adapt it to the reader's needs? You know, it depersonalizes that conversation within the team. Yeah, I have a friend of mine that I talk to <clears throat> about once a week. I've heard him say, I don't know, 10 times, never call someone's baby ugly. Breathtaking to yeah, use the great of, Seinfeld yeah. line. Yeah, whatever their, you know, their baby is, don't call it ugly. Um, it's, um, that's an interesting cultural point because I forget where I read this recently, but I thought, oh my God, that's absolutely true. And it never occurred to me that if you say to a parent in an English speaking country that the baby looks very alert and attentive, they take it as a backhanded compliment. It's, oh, you're saying my baby's not cute, but seems to have a brain cell or two. Mm -hmm. If for instance, in France, you say your baby seems very alert, that is the highest praise you could give them. Yeah. I just, every baby I see, cutest baby I've ever seen. Cutest all babies are seen. gorgeous. And I'm always covered. Yeah. Um, one reason we started this show is to get practical advice. Oh, yeah. Thought leadership's great. We need that to, to think and come up with future ideas and things like that. 
Um, but when someone tells you how to actually do it, which is usually my favorite follow-up question, especially when there's thought leadership and I go, oh, that's great. How do we do that? Um, the three questions that you're talking about to ask, to, to understand what the readers actually want to know is fantastic. That's such a great tip. And then the other thing I like about that whole process is there's probably going to be, I don't know, somewhere if, if you, depending on how many people you reach out to, somebody's going to go, oh, this is a burden. I don't want to do this. I don't really care. But there's going to be, I would think, more times than not, there's going to be, be those people that go, oh, you guys are like, you guys are like really doing this and you're taking us into consideration what is going to work best for us. We'd love to help you do that. Um, and so I think it's another very unique way of building relationships within the organization that I haven't, I haven't heard before. So that's. It's a good way to do it. And I think it's a way of getting in the, everything from the strategic to the operational. And I always say, you know, pick six to 10 people who you know are going to be sensible. So not people who are going to freak out if the report is not in their favorite font, Mm -hmm. Uh, people who are actually going to focus on the substance and who know what the purpose of reports is, which is to communicate the results effectively. Um, you know, and, and it does go back to the relationships. I mean, one thing I should mention is that one team I know of, um, they're doing something fantastic in terms of communicating their results, which is they will send to the audience, the, the recipients of their reports, um, a secure email. And they've told people, you know, yes, it does come from us. You can click on the link, you know, all of that. And you click on the link and it's a three minute video with a junior member of the internal audit team presenting at a very high level, here are our results. Here's our overall opinion. This was, you know, the big hairy thing that we noticed that we need to work together on, or this is what was great that we think is good practice. We should share more widely in the organization. Three minutes at the end of that, there's another link they can go to, to find then, you know, the one pager, Mm-hmm. And then if they want links or appendices for that, and it's so good because it's interactive, but also it um, boosts the confidence of junior members of staff and it helps with succession planning because they're getting their face and their name out there. They're taking turns with board members, audit committee members, really senior divisional directors, yeah. regulators even. Yeah. And, you know, it's building those relationships. It's giving them as well an investment, a stake in the audit function, you know, so we don't risk losing these people. Yeah, and, I like uh, those. The, so interactive. The multiple ways of, because I thought you're just going to stop with video and that oh, no. I've, I find uh, video once or twice, people are like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this, especially depending on the length of the videos. Um, but if that's the only form of communication, then they're like, how did, can you just email it to me? I don't want to sit here. Like, I don't have time to watch this three to five minute video. So I like how you covered all the bases there. That's uh, three minutes really maximum and junior members of staff. And it's a new person each time. So it gives all the junior members a chance to, you know, get their names and their faces out there yeah. and, you know, build their credibility with really senior decision makers, which is what we need. So if Plus they rock up at an audit committee meeting, they'll say, oh, it's, it's Emily or it's Trent or it's Sarah or whoever. Yeah. We saw your video. Yeah. And you get a little bit of that public speaking in there also that maybe, maybe if you have that fear, which I think is the, what the most common fear or something like that, um, is a way to ease into it a little bit. So you're not actually in front of, you know, the board or a whole group of people. It's just you and the camera, but 
That's um, another great point. You know, I didn't think about that. That's a blind spot of mine because I've never been afraid of public speaking. Yeah. <laughs> it took uh, it took time. I definitely didn't just walk up on the stage and um, was comfortable with it. But <clears throat> so that's why I like that as kind of an intro into yeah. a little bit of public speaking. If you have that fear, um, there's a whole lot of good stuff in there. We could probably spend another hour on. But another another area people love to talk about or at least hear about. I know when I talk about data analytics and whenever mm -hmm. I get to tools, that's when the chat just lights up and they're like, I got this yeah. situation. What tool shall I use? We have three people. We used to have this tool. We'd like this tool. And so tools are always popular um, discussion points. Are there tools that can help facilitate this whole process? It's interesting because I was thinking about that earlier. Um, and it's something I keep coming back to regularly. Um, which is the point about data analytics. And in fact, any way that we use technology to come up with some, you know, something that's really robust and quantifiable, you know, that's great. But I keep saying it doesn't do the actual thinking for you. Yeah. You know, and of course there's garbage in, garbage out. So, you know, if you're setting up the parameters based on your flawed understanding of the risks in a particular area, don't blame the tool, blame yourself. Um, I think, you know, we humans, we tend to be kind of lazy. And I always say to get the best out of anything, whether it's something to facilitate your audit field work or, you know, broader analysis or even, you know, compiling and issuing 80% of a report, um, it's only as good as the quality of thinking that you put into it. And I think that 80% of what we should do should be really deliberate, clear, rigorous, analytical thinking mm -hmm. that we do not outsource to the machine. You know, the machines are fantastic. I wouldn't be without them. But if the machines don't do their job, it's probably because I haven't done mine. Yeah. And I'm hoping the IT auditors out there are cheering. Um, and, you know, uh, All right. Well, thank you for the the easy segue again. You talked about the 80%. <laughs> what would you say of everything that we covered? And there's so much um, relative to report writing and uh, tools to use, how to do it faster, uh, these techniques that you talked about in asking those three questions. It's it's not just a piece of paper. It's not just a report. Um, there's a, a lot that, that goes into it. And so what is the 80-20 on report writing? Where can we spend 20% of our time to get the 8% of our results. It's an interesting one. Um, I would say spend most of the time thinking. Okay. And then you need to spend only 20% of your time writing mm -hmm. or pulling it together. Yeah. Because once you've reflected rigorously, um, then it's very easy or much easier to um, document, you know, the results of that rigorous uh, reasoning. Um, I was giving a talk the other week and I said, you know, doing less to do to produce more, you know, how can you, how can you get right. more through less? But I think that might be a false promise because actually we do need to put the hard yards in first. 
in terms of, you know, the thinking and the rigor and the analysis before we can hope to get anything out of it. But once we do that, everything flows from that. So I'd say if we start out really focusing on thinking rigorously about what we're doing and the language we're using to communicate it, initially, of course, when we're consciously incompetent, it's going to take a while. What I've seen is people who follow my advice in about six to eight weeks, you know, a light bulb switches on and all of a sudden they're pumping out really good quality first drafts and it reduces the review stage to virtually nothing and it's purely substantive. And the one tip I would leave you with, your your audience with, um, just on the writing point, is Acquaint yourself with the difference between the active and the passive voice in English. Okay. What what is what are what's the difference between those? It's Can simply a question those? of word order. And very often people overcomplicate it and you don't need to. So in an active sentence, you start with the doer, then you have the action, then you have the person or thing they're doing it to. So the manager reviews the report. Mm-hmm. In a passive sentence, you just flip it around. So you start with the person or thing on the receiving end of the action. The report is being reviewed by the manager. The reason people need to be aware of it is, first of all, active sentences are almost always shorter than passive sentences. So if you use the active voice, your writing is going to be shorter, crisper, clearer. But if you use the passive voice, which most people in most organizations do, they think it sounds fancy, impressive, maybe a little bit distant and scientific. Um, You're at risk probably of using the passive with no doer. The report is being reviewed. The system will be upgraded. Um, Steps have already been taken. And if you have a document full of these sentences, it becomes very hard to work out actually who's doing what or who isn't doing what. And as auditors, I think we need to be alert to not only how we're using the active and passive, but how other people are. Because if someone sends us, say, a process description, and we're assessing that as a control. We can't assess it if it's all passive. Let's say there are 10 steps and it's all passive and there are no doers. Do I know how many people are involved? It might just be one person. So that's an inadequate control because there's no segregation of duties. There's key person dependency, high risk of single point of failure. Yeah. But what if you got those 10 steps spread among six people in four different teams? That too is a badly designed control. But we can't make that judgment unless people write their process descriptions in the active voice. And a top tip I always give people is call up the manager who sent you that process description, especially if that's the manager who's signing off a quarterly attestation to the regulator about that process. Mm -hmm. And if they can't or won't tell you exactly step by step which team or which role is responsible, you don't need individual names. If they can't or won't tell you, you've already got a finding. But (laughs) just be alert to it. It just, it opens up a whole new world of confidence and clarity in what we know, how we know it and how we can communicate it. Yeah. There has been, I feel like those that are listening are going to have a ton of homework after this (laughs) because there's been so (laughs) much, again, of the practical, this is how you can do it. This is the importance of it, et cetera. Um, and maybe that's because you are such an effective communicator that you're able to, to lay it out like that. Um, I feel like I have homework, uh, of my own and I'm not even necessarily in the audit report writing, uh, business, but, um, is there anything else 
maybe any other, <laughs> is there any other homework you want to assign uh, to the audience? Well, I would say I don't like to think of it as homework, okay. but simply being more alert. And whenever you're reading anything, just monitor your own response to it. Do you read with interest through to the end of the document or do you quickly become irritated, tired and distracted, you know, and then start looking at what is contributing to that. Um, and one thing that might be able to help you is the fact I alluded to uh, a book earlier and I have produced a book called Radical Reporting, Writing Better Audit, Risk, Compliance and Information Security Reports. And it's available from Routledge, Taylor and Francis, CRC Press. Um, in paperback and in ebook, as well as in hardback. And I'm very happy to be able to offer a publisher's discount of 30% to all of your listeners. So um, I'll make sure that you get the links to those so Perfect. everyone can benefit. And we will be sure to add those links to the show notes. Um, I think if you are interested, which you, based on the conversation that we just had, I don't see how you could not go if you're a book reader, especially go, yeah, I got to, I'm going to have to get that book. So, all right, Sarah, thank you very much for coming on. You're fantastic. Thanks for having me, Trent. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Hey everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the audit podcast, whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.